going to begin today with some yoga, so I hope you all brought your yoga mats. Not necessary. Some basic chair yoga. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, if you would, maybe put both your feet on the ground. Just become aware of the breath. We are most noticing breath and body interacting. And then slowly with an in-breath, raise your hands up over your head, up towards the sky. You know, if this is difficult for you, you can just raise them as to the place where it's comfortable. Raise them up as much as you can. And then start to stretch through the fingertips, through the palms, up into the fingertips. Really getting in touch with what that stretch feels like at the tip of the thumb. Index finger, middle finger, ring finger, and the little finger, the little pinky there. Just kind of stretching out through them. Maybe you need to ease up the stretch a little bit. Maybe you can deepen into the stretch a little bit. But just reaching and stretching those hands up. Just getting in touch with how this stretch feels. Breathing in and breathing out. And then as you're ready, with a slow, deep in-breath, bringing the arms back down to the side. And you can open your eyes if they're closed as well, too. And so, even if you've never done yoga before, folks, you can now say you've done yoga. <laughs> Basic chair yoga. So, as I begin this new message series for the fall, An Intentional Life, all about intentional living, living with a clear intention, I want us to remember that feeling in the fingertips of the stretch. Because there's all kinds of definitions about what an intention is and living an intentional life, what it's about. An aim, a purpose, a goal. Sometimes when people ask you, what's your intention? What they're actually asking is, what's your outcome? What do you want? But what an intention really is, it's the space before the outcome that makes the outcome possible. But really, beyond any misapprehensions or Dictionary definitions of intention. This is what it's about. It's about the stretch. That's what the ancient word for intention means. It means reaching out for. It means stretching into. It's kind of like if you've been here before, that song we sing, Reach Up for the Sunrise. That's what an intention is, is reaching out. It's a stretching out into our lives, really getting in touch with our lives. Just like I asked you to raise up those fingertips. Remember that in the body throughout this message series, how many of them you might hear. Having an intention is occupying our lives, not living elsewhere, but living in the midst of who and what we are right here, right now. This is how our great spiritual ancestor, great teacher Thoreau put it. He said he knew of no more encouraging fact about being alive, no more encouraging fact that our unquestionable ability to elevate <laughs> our lives by a conscious endeavor, to elevate our lives by a conscious endeavor. That's a stretching intention. And it is the exact opposite of living life on autopilot. Of living life when perhaps we set this when we get into the car 
just putting it on cruise control and just sailing through. Now, there's nothing wrong with cruise control. The issue is when we recognize that most of our lives get set on cruise control if we're not conscious or intentional, if we're not stretching into our lives. I notice this most when I get in my car for my daily commute. It's about 30, 35 minutes, a little bit longer. And unless I'm intentionally conscious, it's like I get in the car, maybe I'll listen to some music, maybe some sports radio, and poof, 35 minutes later, I'm at my destination, and it's like I was barely alive for those 35 minutes. That is putting life on autopilot. We put our lives on autopilot whenever we go unconscious, whenever we go numb, whenever we get in the wonderful words of the Buddhist teacher, Pema Chodron, whenever we get hooked, I love that, we get hooked, we get hooked by our drama, we get hooked by our addictions, we get hooked by our dysfunctions. And again, there's nothing wrong with having these, these make us human, but it's getting hooked by them, not recognizing them, that causes us so much struggle in this life. When we go unconscious, sometimes it happens simply because our lives are busy, especially at this time of the year when so much new is happening and we recognize, we feel as if we become a human conveyor belt producing just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing until we are a machine, no longer a human being that produces only what? Next things. This is living life on autopilot and it costs us, it costs us our lives. Now, I teach, as many of you know, mindfulness. I teach this art, which is an art I'm still learning and always will be learning, about how to be aware and awake in the moment with a sense of presence and with kindness. One of the things I've started to do in the mindfulness groups that I lead here at Wellsprings is I've started to hand out little strips of paper with little quotes on them. And I say, post these quotes, the ones that really uh, resonate with you, in the places that you are most likely to go in auto, into autopilot mode. So one is this, from Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day, that many of you know. I know how to pay attention, I know how to be idle and blessed. I like to post this one in my car. <laughs> There's another one that I particularly like from the Christian scriptures. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is bigger than any particular spiritual tradition. It's the fruits of real spiritual depth. Some people post that on their office computers when it's all just about the next thing, the next email, the next thing to do. Also, this one as well, too. We all know this one. We want to enter heaven on earth. We need only one conscious step and one conscious breath. People have told me in this congregation that they use this particularly at stressful times in their lives when they are projecting outward, forward, beyond, never here, never stretching into their experience, never getting in touch, and it calls us back. Now, the idea of using these kind of spiritual post-it notes is not that you start to think and judge yourself according to, am I living exactly the chargeful life I think should be here for me right now? Am I doing it wrong? No, the goal in these spiritual post-it notes is simply to take the cue and to check back in in this moment and to say, are we really stretching into and touching our lives as they are? Or are we living on autopilot? See, living an intentional life 
on a regular basis, it's not once and done, living an intentional life calls us back. We can remember our capacity to live lives of depth and purpose, not shutting down, but instead learning to skillfully cope with whatever we're facing. It's like the story I heard a couple years ago. It's a mom who has her, shall we say, somewhat uh, fussy baby in the front of her supermarket cart, and the baby's facing back to her, and the baby's getting real fussy as they go deeper and deeper into their shopping through the supermarket. And the baby starts to, uh, starts to get fussy. And the mom says, it's okay, Susan. It's okay. You can do this. And then the supermarket shopping continues. And the baby is like, uh, those of you who are parents know this, you know, like just about to, like the cusp of the squall, like the, the outer edge of the storm front that's coming. And, and, and the mom says, I know it's difficult right now, Susie. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. And then they get to the checkout line, and the storm has come. (laughs) And still the mom is saying, I know, Susie, we're almost done. We're almost there. You can do this. And on the way out of the supermarket, the child now full-on crying, another of the patrons of the supermarket, seeing what has been transpiring all along, seeing this mom talk so lovingly to her child in the midst of a difficult circumstance, taps her on the shoulder and says, I just want to, to say thank you. This way that you've been talking to Susie has inspired me. And the, the woman, the mom kind of blinks at her and says, I'm Susie. <laughs> she was reminding herself of her intentions. It's difficult. You can do this. She was reminding herself to stretch into her life, to stretch out towards the kind of person she wanted to be. Because stretching in the way that I'm talking about is the opposite of the kind of stress that shuts us down and shuts us out and turns on the autopilot. There's a word that psychologists use for this called um, amygdalic hijacking. You don't have to remember that, but just remember that it's the part of our brain that has to do with the fight, flight, freeze response, the amygdala, the snake brain, the reptile brain. And when we're really stressed out, that goes into survival mode. And yes, back in ancient, 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 ancient times when a woolly mammoth was chasing us, it's a good thing we have an amygdala. The only problem is, is that that amygdala can get turned on by things that are non-woolly mammoth varieties. And when we go into these kind of fight, flight, freeze responses, the autopilot gets engaged and we forget our capacity for creativity. It's kind of like our system at this point, for those of you who have PCs, 100% of CPU usage. And, you know, if you've done this with your computer, you run that diagnostic and you see that even though you're just trying to open up your browser, it's so slow. (laughs) Because probably what your computer has is malware, spyware, a virus. That's what happens to us when we go into autopilot mode. We can not remember. We can forget what it's like to continue to stretch into our lives. We can remember that there is space for us to stretch into our lives. And from this place of this deep reservoir of intention, just like the mom did in the supermarket with the crying child, We can remember there 
that we have the power of vast resiliency. Thing is, our intentions don't require any huge belief structure or to have our lives all figured out. It just requires this basic willingness to be responsive to what's going on, to stretch into the space that is within us and around us, and to remember that it begins with the most basics. We have room to breathe and to be. The most healing thing about living with intention of stretching into our lives is that it's not just with some of the daily stresses that this can be transformative. It can be transformative with some of the most deep sadness. Some of the ways that our lives just shut down and go into autopilot for decades because we're afraid of our own grief and our own loss. It's a woman named Muriel Lipp who lives in Washington, D.C. And she describes working with a very slim volume, hundreds of years old, written by an anonymous monk <laughs> in the 1300s in Europe. It's called The Cloud of Unknowing. I don't know if any of you have read it. Wonderful book. It's about, or it's really an example of what's called contemplative spirituality. You want to know what contemplative spirituality? Just listen to what was shared with us from the Higgins earlier today. That's contemplative spirituality. It's getting in touch with our lives and recognizing that, yeah, for all the noise, all the chatter, there is this profound reservoir of unmediated connection that can be there for us. Contemplative spirituality of east or west, north or south, doesn't get involved in a lot of dogmatic disputes. It says a Zen master was once asked, what do you believe? And his response was, as little as possible. It's not that contemplatives don't have deep resources, deep traditions that they draw from. It's just that their intentions are about things that are remarkably simple, so simple as the nose on our face that we might miss it. It's about connection and relationship. It's one of the reasons that you see a lot of contemplatives from Buddhism and a lot of contemplatives from Judaism and Christianity and Hinduism and all kinds of traditions. Sometimes they even let a contemplative you you in the door as well too. Because they're not trying to win arguments. So much of our religious life, our national or sometimes international dialogue, if you can call it that, religion is about my God is bigger than your God. The contemplative approach says this is a false argument. It's not what it's about. And so the opposite of fundamentalism is not secularism. Because the most ardent secularists I know, this is, you're all being fools for being here. They're, they end up sounding the same as the fundamentalists I know. You're all going to be damned for being here. <laughs> the opposite of fundamentalism is not secularism. The opposite of fundamentalism is living a contemplative life. Fundamentalists worry about who can I defeat or who can I win over. Contemplatives are connected to who can I reconcile with? Who can I build peace with? And what can I heal within myself? How can I heal a broken heart? And this takes me back to Muriel Lipp and her working with the cloud of unknowing. Muriel Lipp, living in D.C. a number of years ago, 25 years ago, suffered one of the worst, most grievous losses that anyone can suffer, the death of her child. And she found at that time in her life that the old prayer, she was both a spiritual and religious person. She came from a churched life. 
he found that the old prayers did not work anymore for her. What worked was walking and weeping along the banks of the Potomac River, day after day after day after day. A phrase from the cloud of unknowing resonating within her. Simple. Doesn't explain much, but it was her version of stretching. It says, intend God altogether. That was it. A student of yoga, she would walk, aware of her breathing, just with this little mantra, intend God altogether. And what she found day after day after day after day is what she saw along the banks and in the water of the Potomac was life. She saw decay and death. She saw new life coming to be. She saw the places where the flow of the river was fast and rapid and the places where it seemed almost so still as if it was not moving. Walking and weeping and intending day after day after day, she started to realize that the brokenness of her own heart connected her with everyone and everything that ever lived. We all know what it's like to have broken hearts. We all know what it's like to have life not go as we wish it would. And so she eventually found her way into this place of healing by saying, you know what, the pain of my heart is the pain of the universe and the pain of the universe is found here in my heart. The love of my heart is the love of the universe and the universe finds itself in the love of my own heart. That's the path of healing. It doesn't mean that sadness doesn't exist anymore. It simply means again that through her connections, through her stretching out into her life, she found healing expressed in the fact that she was not alone and she was always connected. That's what living an intentional life can do. We know that we are never abandoned. Even when life bends us all out of shape, even when we find ourselves getting bent all out of shape, perhaps on a regular basis, because sometimes life is just that tough, in those moments, instead, we can return to that innate capacity for flexibility. We can return to that basic capacity to learn to stretch into our lives, to return to our intentions of who we want to be. And it reminds me, in closing here today, of a colleague, a beloved colleague of mine, who a number of years ago spent a long, cold New England winter wrapped in the glass-enclosed, sunlit porch of his house. He was recovering from cancer, and eventually he did heal. But most of that winter, all that he could do was wrap himself in a blanket and sit on his glass-enclosed porch and just watch the nature around him. What he saw there and I think the four hours of daylight he got there in northern New England every day, was these little plants that he had inside this glass-enclosed porch. And he saw one little plant do this. And this little shaft of light that would come through day after day after day, it would move across the room. What he saw through careful observation is that day 
after day after day, this little plant would direct itself in the direction of the light, stretching into the light, connecting into the light, intending into the light so that it could grow. Our lives are just like that little plant. Except the plant did it by instinct. <laughs> we have choice. Today, may all of us, in small ways, stretch into the light. And remember, we are not alone. And turn off that autopilot. May it be so. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of stretch. Of the basic flexibility with which we were born. May we recognize the growing capacities of our hearts these days and return to them over and over and over again because indeed faith is that which we set our hearts upon. May we know that no moments of connection, no matter how small, is ever insignificant because it stands as an invitation for us to stretch into our lives. Remember we are connected. Remember we belong. We can turn off the cruise control, the autopilot, the methods of numbness and unconsciousness and return and return and return again to life. May this be so for all of us. And amen.